Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Micah Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. Uh, with that, I want to talk about something today, and as you can tell, it's a weird graphic. If you look at this, none of us are like, oh, really cool message today, Micah. No, because that's, this is an interesting picture. We're talking about something called spit shine today. Spit shine. Now, how many of us know what spit shine is, right? Where you're looking, okay, dang, I'm like dating myself. It's essentially, right, is when you're looking at something dirty and you don't got any water, so you just spit on it and rub it away, right? Or if you're a golfer, this is the only way you clean your clubs, <laughs> which might be me. Anyway, but essentially what I'm talking about today is this idea of really, for me, I'm, I, if you don't know this about me, uh, I really kind of have one hobby that I had really growing up, and, and some of you guys probably, if you've been here any length of time, is I've always loved shoes. I used to mow lawns growing up. My mom knows this. I used to mow lawns growing up to save money to buy sneakers, and it was funny because back then there was never really any, like, there was no, like, sneaker subculture, and so I would come to church in sneakers, and my mom would be like, I really don't want you to wear those. I re- can you please wear dress shoes? And my sisters would be like, oh, you're wearing sneakers with that outfit? And you're just like, yeah, I'm wearing sneakers all the time, right? And so even now, like, I just have really nice sneakers when I need to go to really official things. I got married in sneakers. Why? I don't know. Don't judge me. But, but what's funny, though, is like I said, I'm one of those guys, if I look down and I see a little something, I'm spitting on it and wiping it off because you got to stay strapped, And that means your sneakers looking nice. Anyway, but what I'm trying to talk about today is this idea that God, in all honesty, can use the spit of this world to shine up our life sometimes. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of the times, here's the deal. I'm going to be very gut level honest. As believers, a reflexive uh, thing that we do is just rebuke anything that is uncomfortable, that we don't like, that we don't want to be around, that we don't want to be associated with, that we think is going to, is, is, not of God, and, and instead really just say, I rebuke it, I don't want it, God, get it out of here, it's Satan, it's all of these things, and not really realize that God actually wants to use, pretty much, can use pretty much anything. I mean, and by pretty much, we're going to read a story right in here in a second, that's kind of going to really add the layer of why this is even called spit shine, but God can really use anything, Anything, anyone, any situation, any backdrop, any circumstance, he can use it all. That's the God we serve. And I think a lot of the times what we do is we look at the problem and say, get away from me, Satan. We look at what we're dealing with and we say, absolutely not, God. There is no way your goodness would let me do this. There is no way your faithfulness would be bringing me through this trial. There is no way I should be walking through this. I'm a child of God. And what God's really wanting to do is bring us to another level. Bring us to a place of even more shining because what we don't realize is those cleansing agents are painful, but they also sanitize and they also heal. And for me, you know, it's interesting. Nobody, right, when we get cut, a big cut on our arm, right, nobody goes, man, I love the feeling of peroxide in that deep cut. (laughs) Like nobody's like, man, just can't wait to pour it on and burn. Why? Because, but here's the deal. What we do is we put it on there because we know that it will sanitize, that it will clean, and that it will help heal. And see, a lot of the times what we don't realize is that in our brokenness and in our broken lives and our broken way of seeing things is we don't realize that sometimes God uses the things that burn, the things that hurt, 
and the things that penetrate us to our deepest core to restore us to levels that we never thought we needed restored to. You know, I remember when I was in middle school, I was playing basketball and I was having foot, uh, a foot problem. And I went, to the, uh, I went to the doctor and essentially I had plantar fasciitis, which is plantar's warts on one of my feet. And, I had a, and so they had to go in there with a torch and burn them off. And I remember he said, all right, when you go home, just dip in an Epsom salts. Now, when you're in middle school, you don't think anything about that until I've got a crater on my foot this big and I'm just putting it in salt water. You better believe. How many times do you think I did it after that night? Never again. <laughs> Ask me if I've ever used Epsom salts again in my life. Never. Never. Why is that? Is because the burn was not worth it. And I think a lot of the times what happens is, is the discomfort, the dissatisfaction, and really the burn of what that's causing the friction in our lives. What we do is we measure its worth by what it's giving us in the moment versus what it's giving us in the long run. See, what God's trying to do is maybe develop muscles, maybe to develop ways of thinking, maybe to develop new ways of understanding. We've, we as people, all we wanted to do in the last year is whether it's rebuke COVID or rebuke the political scene or rebuke some of the racial stuff or rebuke all of these different things and not actually learn and glean and say, God, is there something you're wanting to do inside of me that is transformative in nature that is going to cause me to shine even greater? And some of you guys, maybe you're looking and saying, well, you don't know what I'm facing. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm up against. And I can tell you this is that I know a book that talks a lot about people who were up against insurmountable odds that God consistently, consistently worked for their favor. You know, many of you guys don't even know this story, but I was even, this is something I didn't know until I stumbled across it this week in Joshua, is that when Joshua was actually walking to Jericho, it actually says that in Joshua, I believe it's in Joshua 4 or 5, it says that he rounded a corner and there was an angel sitting on a horseback and he said, who are you? And the angel looked at him and said, I am a, I am a commander of the Lord's armies here to facilitate you and fight on your behalf. See, some of us, what we do is we look at the battle that's right in front of us and we don't look at who's alongside of us. And so we think that we're fighting in our own strength, but when we choose to follow God, we fight in his. And so what I want to talk about, though, is really what it comes down to is most of the time when we assess, if I were to sit here and say, how do you assess if God's using the uncomfortable things for kingdom purposes? We would venture to say that for most of us, right, is it feels a little bit like paying more than we want to pay, doing more than we want to do, and taking more time than we want it to take, and then trusting he'll make it worth it. But he will. You know, an interesting story of this is about, uh, I was probably three years ago, four years ago, I was working on, on a, a, a house that we were remodeling. And I had a guy working for me by the name of Mike. And this guy, I remember I'd broken my dustpan because it, I'm kind of a, an aggressive person. <laughs> we're not going to go there. But um, I remember I'd broken my dustpan and I was working. So I looked at Mike and he's kind of like my errand guy. I looked and I said, hey, can you go to True Value right down the road and just pick me up another dustpan? And Mike comes back in the house with this dustpan and looks at me and says, I got one. And I looked at it and I said, how much was that? And he looked at me and he said, $23. <laughs> how many of you ever spent $23 on a dustpan? Nobody raise your hands because ain't nobody proud of that. And the best part was, is Mike was paying with Mike with my money, right? And I'm looking and I'm like, you just, did you just? 
you just, you spent $23 on a dustpan? <laughs> and what's funny is what's reminding me about this story is about th- probably a month, month and a half ago, I'm in my laundry room. My wife is in the kitchen and she's got a cruddy dustpan. And I remember I look and I say, why are you using the good one? <laughs> and the Lord said, the good one? And I said, what do you mean? He said, you remember how mad you were when you got that? I said, well, I didn't even buy it, and I'm still a little mad, but like, can you give me this dustpan, actually? This is the $23 construction grade. I mean, I have used this as a shovel. I, I, can't, tell you, I can't tell you the purposes of this dustpan, but I can tell you it has met my needs. What am I trying to say, though, right? In the moment, this was not worth it. It cost too much. It didn't make any sense. But looking back, I'd buy it again. Looking back, it was worth every penny. Look, yeah. <laughs> looking back, it's getting handed down to my kids. This, this right here plowed my driveway last year. <laughs> Y'all think I'm kidding too. <laughs> like $23 dustbin, I could have plowed my driveway for a month. But what am I saying, right? Is this to me in the beginning wasn't worth it. This to me in the beginning was excessive. This to me in the beginning was something I absolutely wanted to turn around and return and get my $23 back so I could buy a $2 dustpan. But long term, it was worth it. And what am I saying today is I'm saying that really for a lot of us, how we assess what we're going through is the cost in the moment, what it feels like in the moment, how it pertains to us in the moment, and we're not seeing God's long-term view. And so today, what I want to do is I want to read a story. I want to read a story, and it's in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. And it's an interesting story because, in all honesty, I don't believe any of us would ever... If I walked up to you on the street and said, Hey, do you believe God's heals with dirt and loogies? Not all of us would be like, no. Why did you say that? That is weird. But this is a story where Jesus heals with dirt and loogies. Let's read. It says this. Typically, I read out of the ESV. It's one of my favorite translations. This one I liked personally. It's uh, the Passion Translation. That's why we're in that one today. But it says, when they arrived at Bethesda, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, begging him to touch and heal. So Jesus led him as his sighted guide outside the village. He placed his saliva on the man's eyes, covered them with his hands. Then he asked him, now, do you see anything? Yes, he said, My sight is coming back. I'm beginning to see people, but they look like trees, walking trees. Jesus put his hands over the man's eyes a second time and made him look up. The man opened his eyes wide and he could see everything perfectly. His eyesight was completely restored. Then Jesus sent him home with these instructions. Go home, but don't tell anyone what happened. Not even the people in your own village. Not even the people in your own village. Pause. Imagine you're getting your eyes dilated. You had a little short-term blindness, and you walk into the doctor's office, and he says, hey, we're going to try out a new procedure today. I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to run out back. I'm going to get some dirt. <laughs> and, that, and you were like, wait, what? We're going to mix up some spit and dirt today. We're just going to wipe it. It should heal you. How many of you guys know? Absolutely not. If your doctor looked at you and said, hey, you know, 
We're just, it's a new thing. I promise it'll work. Now, obviously in the moment, none of us would want to do that. If you were guaranteed 2020 vision though, obviously I'm all in. But let's take it a step further because I'll be honest, nothing about this particular instance makes sense. Declan, can you come up here? I know you talked to me. I talked to you before. We're going to act like right now, we're going to reenact this moment. So Jesus, what you might find is that Jesus actually is a teacher. You can actually stay right down here, buddy. Right down. Never mind. You're on stage now. What's up? Come on over here, Declan. It's one of my favorite dudes in the world. So, oh, yeah, give. Also, Mom, he got a tat, and he's like 18. You would never let me get one. My mother-in-law has tats, too. Amy. Yeah, you love Declan, though? You don't love me? What? I'm getting a little lost on this train. Anyway, but here's the deal. Jesus is, is typically in settings like this. He's teaching people. And if you know anything about Jesus' ministry is when he teaches people, he's teaching massive crowds. It actually says in multiple instances that the crowds pressed so much into him that he was almost suffocated. And so here's the deal. Some people bring a blind man up, and Jesus is in front of this whole crowd, and you know what he does? Hey, guys, I'll be right back. Hey, we're going to go outside the city. Is that okay? <laughs> All right. All right, I want you to go home. Don't go back in there. Okay. And then Jesus just continues to teach and be with the people. And that guy you never see again because he told him to go home. Declan, you can come back in now. <laughs> what am I trying to say? I'm trying to set the example here. This doesn't, none of this makes sense. Why wouldn't Jesus just say, you're healed? Because that's genuinely what he did most of the time. Why did he have to grab the guy's hand, walk him out of town, leave all of the crowd, and then decide halfway through, I think I'm going to use some dirt and spit today. It, see, when you read this story, it's easy for us as believers to be like, oh, man, go Jesus. Good. Oh, really spoke to me. But like when we put ourselves in the situation and circumstance, it is mildly confusing and a little bit maddening to understand what the heck Jesus was doing in this instance. But he healed. He restored. And I think what I'm trying to say is this, is that whenever we try to understand Jesus from the context of our secular, Western, just humanistic way of reasoning, it will not make sense. But when we trust and align and say, God, I'm not going to fall away, I'm going to stay consistent. I'm going to stay committed. I'm going to stay right with you. Even if it doesn't feel like it, even if it's not matching up to my way of thinking or reasoning, even if it is the last thing I wish you would do, I'm choosing to stay with you. Yeah. I promise he's going to be able to do some things. Yeah. But man, a lot of us, what we want to do is we want to follow God up to when it makes sense, up to when it feels comfortable, up to when it fits the schedule, up to when it meets my needs. But the moment it starts skirting outside of those boundaries, and going a little bit over those guardrails, it's just so much easier to sit in a place of comfortability and wonder why God has never really fully allowed you to see the kingdom. It's because your comfortability has tied you to a stake 
You've never chosen to be uncomfortable. You've never chosen to just believe that God can actually do it. This is a great example of progressive healing. See, a lot of the times we pray and hope God does it instantaneously, hope he does it in a moment, but a lot of the times God does it with a relationship. And in doing that, what he's doing is he's wanting to restore the health and the relationship and see you walk together with him in faith and belief that only he can do what he can do and you trust that he can do it. And I think a lot of the times this is where it gets interesting is because I'll be honest, most of the times I pray over people, I know that God is trying to restore depth of relationship as well as heal. And a lot of the times what we want is we want the power of God without the proximity of him. That's not how it works to be a believer. God meets first with proximity and then typically brings power right around with it. And for some of us, we wonder why we haven't felt the power or seen the power and we've never assessed proximity as a source. So what I want to do is I want to read really quickly and not read actually. I'm going to give us just a couple things and I want to talk about this morning how to get through the spit to get the shine. How do we get through the spit to get the shine? And obviously we know that's a little bit of a play on words if you haven't caught up to that yet, but we're not going to talk about that because it is church. But really for a lot of us, I think the question is how much can you handle, how much can you take and continue to go forward? Because that's really the God we serve. If you look at the example of Jesus's life, that's how he lived. He took a lot. And by a lot, I mean, if you haven't read the Easter story of what Jesus went through for you, I mean, he took more than any of us have ever taken in our lives. And he got through because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross because he knew what it would mean for history from there on out. And so what I want to do is I want to give us a couple things, how to get through the spit to see the shine. The first one, Jesus uses the uncomfortable to lead to completion. You know, there was a quote that I read this week that was, that really challenged me. And it's this, don't drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. Don't drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. For a lot of us, what we want is we want comfortable completion. We want our comfort level to be met and our soul and our spirit to be complete. And that's when we really feel like we've really landed. And with God, see, faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, according to Hebrews 11, doesn't really, if I'm honest, doesn't make a lot of sense. If you break that down, the substance of things I'm hoping for, so I'm hoping for something, and I can't see it. All right, yeah, God, sounds great. Like, if I came up to you and said, hey, I'm going to sell you something, right? What are you hoping for? And you're not going to be able to see it. And it's going to cost you a lot. It's going to really take a lot of time. But just trust me, right? Nobody's going to do that. And so what we do is we carry that over into Scripture. And we go, that doesn't make any sense. I hope for things. And then really even your standards of what real hope is and what just worldly hope is, they don't really match my standards. And so what we do is we go, okay, God, well, I'm looking for comfort and completion. And God goes, no, actually, you should search for completion and find out that along the way I'll bring you comfort. Because when we pursue completion and wholeness and our spirits being filled, what we don't find is that happiness is just a byproduct. If I told you that today, that happiness is not supposed to be your primary pursuit, it's supposed to be a byproduct, would we believe it? Because that's truly what it means to follow God, in my opinion. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, 
patience. All these things are byproducts of following God. And so a lot of the times what we do is we go, all right, God, I'll follow you up till my comfort level, up till where this is really starting to get stressful, up till where I really don't understand, up to, and what God's saying is, listen, don't, you gotta go more than that. You gotta be willing to get uncomfortable. And some of us, what we do is we drift towards disobedience because what we're doing is we're saying, God, I'll follow you up to my comfort level. But when it starts to get uncomfortable, I'm going to continue to choose comfort. What do I mean by this? I'll follow you, but the moment you start highlighting sin, the moment you start wanting to change how I think, the moment you start wanting to change how I function, the, one, the moment you want to start changing how I'm wired, well, then I tap out at that level because that, there's no way that could be God. No, God is a God of uncomfortable to completion, not comfortable to completion. Many of us know that anything that takes time, usually, right, whenever we want something that takes time and we have to put time in to develop it, to curate it, that's where we know something will stand. That's when we know something will has the strength. And so today what I'm really saying is this, is that a lot of the times we want freedom and we want comfort, but if we revolve our life around those two things, we'll never have completion. If all you seek is freedom, all you seek is comfort, and you're wondering why your life's not shining, it's because you haven't embraced the spit and what it can do to the shine. The second thing, if you believe that the spit can lead to shine, it starts with 100 percent honesty. I think this is something not just in the church, but in the Western world for most of us is pretty non-existent today. I was reading, uh, listening to one of my favorite speakers a few weeks ago, and he was talking about just peer-to-peer relationship and how vulnerable mankind or really Americans are with each other. And essentially from a statistical standpoint, they say that on average in America, that we have less than one person. It was like 0.87 people when they did a study that we felt we could be vulnerable and honest with. Essentially saying that he went all across America and if he asked people, hey, is there an amount of people that you, you know, you could be honest with? Most people said zero and a couple said one or two and then it rounded out to 0.87. What am I trying to say? I think that honesty is just a bygone product because really what it is is when we're honest about our weaknesses, honest about what we're struggling with, honest about the things that really are deep down kind of hurting us, and we're struggling to get through, what it does is it appears as weakness and we don't want to be perceived as weak. Think about this. This is a a, a missed part of this story. And I think it's one that we need to realize the importance of. What does it say? It says in verse 25, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes a second time and made him look up. What happened the first time? The first time he said, oh, I I only see trees. Pause. Pause. I'm not going to lie. This is me being gut level honest. If Jesus looked at me after putting his eyes on or his hands on me and said, can you see? And I can see trees. That's good enough. I'm not about to look at the savior of the world and say, hey, you didn't do your job. I'm only seeing half, homie. I thought you're the healer. I thought you're the guy who does it. I thought you're the one who makes me 2020. Right? It's interesting, this is the only instance I know of where Jesus isn't healing fully, he's healing partially in a way that really, from our way of thinking, doesn't make sense. This is the same guy who didn't even heal. People would just come to him and he'd say, all right, go home, they're healed. Why in this instance is he not doing that? 
right? What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. I love how the man was honest and he said, you know what? I'm believing you for healing and I'm not quite there yet. You haven't done everything that you can do. See, he looked at Jesus and said, I know you can, but this is where I'm at. Can you do more? And see, some of us, what we do is we say, all right, God, I'm following. All right, God, I'm there. All right, God, I'll do it. And then when God's doing a little, we don't press in for the more because we're not even really honest to begin with. It's like, God, I just need a little bit of faith. No, you need a lot of bit of faith. God, can you help me just love my neighbor a little better? No, you, you really need to start loving your neighbors. <laughs> like, when we're, if we're really honest about the struggles we face, God, I am uncertain about this. God, this doesn't make any sense. God, this is something that I can't believe you would have me go through. God, why would you choose me to carry this weight? God, what are you doing? See, when we're honest, we can start the process. But when we're not honest and we don't want to change and we're not open to really any other way of thinking other than our own control, our own reasoning, our own functionality, we've missed the context of what it means to be a follower of God. Today, I pray that we realize that honesty maybe starts with us talking to somebody. Honesty maybe starts with us getting a little bit uncomfortable about uh, some conversations we need to have. Honesty starts with us essentially maybe having some conversations with the Lord or our spouses or whatever it is. But honesty is the first step in restoration and healing. And see, some of us, we want all the restoration. We want all the healing. We want all the breakthrough. And we don't want any of the honesty. That's not the God we serve. The next one, how do we turn spit into shine? If we don't train ourselves to look up, we won't get out. This one, to me, I think, is the most important part of this story. Because we just read in verse 25, what is the man doing? As he looks and says, hey, will you heal me? I'm just seeing trees right now. And it says that Jesus doesn't reapply the salvation or the uh, saliva salivate onto his eyes. All he does is touch his head, tilt it up. And healing takes place. What does that mean to us today? You can have partial healing looking out here. But the only time you'll ever have full healing is when you're looking up here. And some of us, all we've ever done is look out here. And we've gotten to a pretty good place. You can get to pretty good by just self-help and getting around the right people, having the right thinking, getting the right vibes, having the right energy carrying the right stones or whatever the world's trying to tell us nowadays to do. But the only way that you actually get full healing, full restoration, full awareness, full revelation is when your gaze is turned upward and not outward. When you start to take on the persona of who Jesus is. You know, I found it interesting. I was listening to a teaching this week and it was talking about the yokes. And many of us maybe don't understand this, but there's two passages of scripture that come to mind when we talk about yoke. The first one, 
my yoke is easy, my burden is light. God's essentially saying, hey, be yoked to me, which is the, the wooden piece that would connect cattle to ultimately plow or oxen to plow the field. And the second one is to n- not be unequally yoked. But what was interesting to me is that in this particular teaching, he was talking about the fact that you would never, ever, ever hitch two uncommon quantities together on a yoke. What I mean by that is you would never hook up an oxen and a dog. You would never hook up a cow and like a goat. You would, what, for, for a yoke to work, it needs to be two things that are very, very similar in nature for them to work long-term because if they're not the same, they break apart, they don't work together, and the job doesn't get done. So actually, when we look deeper at that passage, And God looks at you and says, hey, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me place it upon you. He's also looking at you and saying, but you have to change into who I am. I don't change into human form. I did that before and I was perfect at it. What you have to do is you need to take my yoke upon you. It's easy and as light as long as you are looking and becoming more like me. See, that's what the lifestyle of looking up is. Is it saying, okay, I'm facing a problem. I'm not looking out. I'm looking up. Okay, I'm facing uncertainty. I'm not looking out. I'm looking up. Okay, I'm going through something. I know that I need time to look up and not out. See, all our culture says is look outward and all Jesus says is look upward. What's the posture of your lifestyle of looking up? And for some of us who've been believers for a long time and maybe haven't practiced these postures, man, it's, I'll be honest, it's going to sound dull and boring. Read your Bible. It's going to sound dull and boring. Pray. It's going to sound dull and boring. You got weaknesses? Go read some books on it. I'll be honest, most of the time for me, When I feel the Lord telling me, you need to work on this, I'm not going to somebody else to lead me to water. Okay, God, what does your word say? I need to marinate on some passages. Who's somebody I know who's strong in this that I can talk to about the weakness I have? What is a book that I can read that can address this specifically? See, a lot of us, we don't have this activated mindset. We have the outward mindset of God, well, lead me in a direction where I can stumble into it. No, God says, lead yourself in the easy yoke of following me and turn and start to become who I am. And for some of us, I know I've recommended this book for past few weeks, but it's a great book I've been reading called The Common Rule. It's by a guy who owns a law firm and has four kids and all about what what spiritual principles are. Now, I'm not going to lie. See, you can look at me and go, well, you're a pastor, so you have time for spiritual stuff. But this guy, I'll be honest, and here's the deal. I'll be honest, you can't really give a whole lot of room when a guy's got four kids and a law firm and he's doing the thing. The common rule, read it. We've got another thing on our roadtolifechurch.com under the grow tab. You can read, there's a reading plan there. That's my reading plan. Specifically, I've been doing for five years. I want to encourage you. If you want to be somebody who God can turn the spit to the shine, you've got to reposture and not look out, but look up. Because I guarantee if that blind man would have fought God's repositioning of his head, he would have never met the miraculous power. God right now wants to reposition your gaze. And the last one, you can't bypass the spit to get the shine. You can't bypass it. Don't be somebody who prays away every difficult situation. 
every tough circumstance. Because I'll be honest, everywhere we look, we start to realize that the process, even the process of friction and what it does, the process I, I like to work out, the process of slowing down with heavy weight, what that does. There is so many different layers you can look at in which, which this world is structured in a way to get us to look and realize like, hey, there's going to be pain, there's going to be discomfort, but there's always something behind it that's worth it. I pray that we're not believers who look at everything that's going to cost us, everything we have to go through, everything that hurts and say, God, that's not of you, but rather, God, what are you wanting to do in me through this? That's what it means to follow Jesus, to trust that in all situations, all seasons, all circumstances, he's working it together for our good. Let's hold on tight today, church with that. There's a couple questions they're going to throw up. We haven't done this in a few weeks, but it's okay. We'll be able to survive. If you're somebody who likes to take notes or write things down or whatever, you can pull out your phone or there's note cards. They can throw those up there. Uh, but we're going to do some reflection questions at this time for three or two, three minutes where we just have a real moment of point number two, honesty. Because some of us, all we're looking at is the spit and not recognizing that it wants to be used to shine. But it starts right now with us saying, God, I'm going to be honest where I'm at. And I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to lean in. And I'm going to readjust my gaze. And I'm going to believe that you've got a $23 dustpan that's worth it. Let's take some time.